and welcome back. We have another episode of Dirt Talk for you today. This is episode 57. Just did the math on that. Got it right. With Ryan Chrisman. He's a foreman, superintendent, operator. Who the heck knows what he actually is, but he does just about everything in Nebraska with a company out of Kansas. You've probably seen him if you follow some dirt pages on Instagram. His Instagram handle is BeefyBladeHand, and his videos are amazing. Uh, with the stuff he does with blades, the amount of seat time he's had in blades, it's it's just absolutely fascinating, this guy. And you can tell he's just a purebred earth mover. So we're going to get right into it. Enjoy this episode of Dirt Talk. So, like we're 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 going now. So, if you could start with uh, what you're what you're most known for, or at least what I what I know you for the most on on Instagram, what I look forward to every morning. Good morning, fuckers. <laughs> so, anyone on Instagram probably knows who the who we're talking to right now. <laughs> you, yep. we, we don't have to you don't have to say your name. How long have you been doing that for? Um. I don't know. I probably started it about five years ago. I, before Instagram had stories, I'd do it on my Snapchat every morning and <laughs> always got good reception. So I just kept it going. <laughs> and it's usually you driving in the middle of Nebraska. And, and it's at this time of year, it's miserably cold out and dark early. And that's, yep. that's, that's all it is, is just you saying good morning fuckers. And, uh, uh and that's it. Yep. I really enjoy it. Yeah, a lot of people do make them laugh first thing in the morning, and that's good for everybody. So, <laughs> okay, now that we have that out of the way, um, so what? Um, how'd you get into the the dirt thing? How did it all How did it all start for you? Well, um, kind of born into it, I guess. Started way back with my great grandfather on my mom's side. He was a uh, after the war. He needed something to do, and he kind of got into house moving. So he did all the excavation the foundations and basements and things of that nature and, and moved houses for a living. And then uh, my granddad in the early 70s bought out the construction company he was working for. And I kind of, I guess, was born into that and grew up in the office. My my dad was the superintendent. And my mom ran the, the books in the office for him. So until I was about 10 years old, I spent every day after school and all day in the summertime running around that office and climbing on equipment. No kidding. So you've known, yep. I mean, that's, that's all you've ever known. Yep. Huh. So you get into uh high school, do you start working for them technically like legally working for them in high school or what's, um, when do you yeah, start actually working? Actually, actually in uh, 97 had a really bad year and unfortunately lost the company. And then my dad, uh, the next year bought the shop and some of the equipment and went out on his own. And after that transition took place, yeah, I was, you know, 10, 11 years old going to work with my old man after school weekends summertime whenever i could i didn't i didn't go hang out with friends or play or do anything i went to work and hung out and got on equipment what's your what's your dad like what's his personality he's a very very strongly spoken in your face kind of guy and me and him are polar opposites i'm pretty laid back um yeah just just a go-getter what's it like working for him we actually have always had a really really good work relationship and personal relationship 
you know, he's one of those, he's one of those old school, salty, gritty guys that if you're fucking up, you're getting your ass chewed. And it don't matter if you're a, <laughs> don't matter if you work for him for 30 years, first day on the job or, or his kid, you know, everybody got the same treatment. Yeah. So no, no special treatment, huh? No, absolutely not. Yeah. You, you probably got it the worst out of anybody for, for a little bit there. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I probably took it a little harder than some for fucking up. You know, he, he did spend a lot of time teaching me a lot of stuff. You know, I, that's the reason I am where I'm at, where I'm at today. Was getting into all this, was it even a question? Did you think about anything else? No, I, you know, as long as I can remember, that's what I wanted to do. I could always, always remember when I was a little kid, there were a couple guys that actually worked for that company that my granddad bought out in the 70s that were still there when my dad started his. They came over to work for him. And those were the old guys that dropped out of school in seventh grade and went straight to work and been doing it for 50 years. And that was just, you know, those guys were my superheroes. I, I wanted to be able to say that someday, you know, I've been doing this for 50 years and from a very young age, that's kind of where I was headed with it. Never even considered anything else. What about, what about that is so appealing? I don't know. I just always had a fascination with iron and love watching the equipment work from ever since I was a little kid. You know, I go into John Deere here in town to get parts or something. And, you know, you'd always come out of there with a little grater or a backhoe or something, you know, a toy, just take them home and play in the dirt with them. And you just kept it going, found bigger ones. Yeah. So when, when did you become, you know, start running equipment full time as you, as your career? Was it out of high school in high school? I guess technically I started getting an actual real paycheck at probably 16 when I could actually maybe earlier than that, but that's, I guess that's the first time I can really remember having a consistent weekly paycheck was when I could drive myself to work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I started, well, even at seven years old, I, I started helping my uncle on his farm, driving tractors and running his skid steer. And, and then by 11, I was getting into loaders and graders and excavators and things of that nature. So with all that experience, was it, did you get into just running equipment from, from the beginning when you actually legally able to work or did you have to start as a laborer? What, what did that look like? No, I, I pretty much went right into a seat. The, the type of work that my dad does, it's not real, you know, the, there's not a lot of labor involved with it. He kind of sticks to uh, small site development and he does a lot of highway shouldering behind asphalt paving crews and, and uh, it's, it's pretty much all equipment related. There's not a whole lot of labor involved. It seems like you can run just about anything, but what you are most, I don't know if known's the right word, but what, what at least I know you for are, are blades. When did, uh, mm-hmm. when did your affinity for running a grader come into play? That was very, very early. You know, I, every chance I get, my dad would have to go in on a Saturday and clean up some stuff on a highway project or something or anywhere. If he was going to be running a grader that day, I was in, I was in the truck with him. I just get in the cab with him, stand in the corner and watch and all. And, you know, I've had a fascination with those as long as I can remember. What about what about graders gets you going? Um, they're just a super versatile machine. You know, they'll, they'll go about anywhere. You can do about anything with them if you kind of think outside the box. And you know, there there aren't many other machines where you can take the blade and take it out the side in a vertical position, or basically get it in any position you want to. Me, I'm pretty pretty. Uh, you know, I have a traditional mindset a lot of times, so I think you know a grader is there to just smooth stuff out. And to go build a road with. But then I watch your Instagram and other people's Instagrams, like um, Mr. Mr. John out in California. Yep. There's yep. a few of you guys out there that just post ridiculous videos of blades doing mm-hmm. ridiculous things. 
Yep. And you're not joking when they really, when you say they really can do anything if you just have a little creativity. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. So, um, going into like your adult life, you've just essentially spent most of it running equipment then. Yeah. Um, actually I've gotten into a little bit of everything. I work, I worked for my, my dad for two and a half years. I went to Phoenix for six months and worked for Rumble actually. I forgot about um, that. Yeah. And then the housing, you know, that was late 07, well, late 06, early 07 when the housing market just fell out. And I moved home. And by that time, the market here was kind of getting bad enough to where within the next year, my dad's company had kind of gotten so deep in bed with another general contractor in town. They owed us so much money that we ended up kind of all just rolling everything into them for about another three years until they went bankrupt. And then he got it back and is, is going good again. But that company, did everything. So when I was working there, you know, I do underground utilities, water sewer, storm sewer, um, a lot of a lot of steel erection on big box buildings. You know, we built Walmart, Home Depots, Menards, all kinds of things. So throughout my career, I've done almost everything uh, in the construction industry. But yeah, I've always tried to stick to grading. That's what I like doing best. And and so you don't work for your dad anymore. When no, is your dad still working? Yep, he's still going. No kidding. Yep. Why don't you work for him now? Well, kind of after, like I said, that company went under in 2010. My dad kind of was trying to decide what he wanted to do because he, you know, it was kind of a it was a complicated financial deal how that all happened. But basically, they went under and he got all of his equipment back and still had his, you know, he still had his company established. It just wasn't doing anything for that time period. And he was in a pretty bad place when he got all that stuff back. You know, there's a lot of wear on the equipment that, you know, they, they neglected iron bad. Just run it till it won't go anymore and then put a Band-Aid on it was their operating procedure. I kind of got rolled into another partner company for a year. Um, and they were, their main focus was curb and gutter and uh, small flat work, concrete stuff. I worked for them doing their grading for a year and they took over all the default contracts for the company that went bankrupt. And they actually ended up bankrupting a year later because of the contracts that were already overpaid out. And it was just a bad situation all the way around for everybody involved. And, you know, that was only a year after my dad got his stuff back. And I, after I got noticed that they were going under, I actually tried going back to work for him, but he was in such a, you know, he was still in such a financial bind. He didn't want, didn't want me to come to work for him and I guess kind of felt some sort of responsibility to provide for my family if I was working for him, getting a paycheck from him and he didn't want that. He, he kind of suggested I go find something else to do where I could make better money. And then I ended up at a, another lo- local big dirt contractor here in town and their culture is just horrendous. What makes a horrendous culture at a construction company? You know, back then they were just kind of getting started into the big dirt stuff and they didn't have a lot of iron, um, didn't have a lot of experienced people. Um, when I came on for them, immediately the first week we were working 612s, which, mm. you know, I I was kind of used to with the, the big company that went under. You know, they kind of let me set my own schedule and I liked working. I liked working about 70 hours a week there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the paycheck was about right at those hours there. So, I, you know, I rolled into... 612s, I was like, all right, yeah, you know, this isn't too bad. Well, a month later, it turned into, you know, 1214s and then two off. And then you're getting further behind on a job, and it turns into, you know, you're working 21 days with two off. 
just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And by the end, uh, I worked there for, I want to say like four years and a month or something. And by the end of my time there, you know, I was, I was getting divorced yeah. and just wasn't good. I, you know, the, the last year I, I worked for him, I pulled a hitch up in Wyoming. I stayed, I worked 60 consecutive 16 hour days to get grade ready for a paving crew just because we didn't have enough equipment or people way too much workload. And at that point, you know, that winter I told him I was done. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I mean, no matter how good you are, how productive, how uh, ambitious you are, you can only do that for so long until it just burns you yep. out. That's one of the big problems is just the long, crazy hours in this world. Mm-hmm. And then these yep. companies, they justify it by saying, well, the, these guys, they love it because they get so much money. But then it becomes yeah. like, then it becomes like, well, that's, they have to work that much to make the good money and then they get used mm-hmm. to it and then they're stuck working ridiculous hours. And then now they're yeah. never seeing their wife and kids and, 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 yep. and they're never home. And it's, it, it's a terrible, terrible lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it is. And, you know, it, and that's the thing with them. You know, they were the biggest guys in town here local, but the money wasn't that great. You know, I, where I'm at now, I work 55 hours a week. And I make more here than I did working for them 105 hours a week. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't offer any benefits. It just wasn't a good, it just wasn't a good workplace to work, Mm -hmm. but it was, you know, they were the only other, they were the last option I had in town here. And, uh, you know, for example, the company I work for now, it's a 320 mile drive for me to get to the office. Mm -hmm. But it's worth it. Obviously. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, excellent benefits, you know, the money's right. They're just all around good people. You know, they, they like to take care of their health. My, I made a post about this on social media this morning, how it's like now it's, it's really the, the powers in the people's hands. And so you don't have to go work for a really shitty company anymore uh, because, yeah, exactly. because everyone needs people so bad, but you had mm-hmm. to go out and find that great company. And sometimes a great company is yep. not right here at home, but Yep. Working for that great company, even if they're 300 miles from home, is far better than working for a shit company, beating the hell out of yourself, yeah. still yep. never seeing your kids or anything like that. It's it's mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I kind of fell into that. You know, I fell into that company just, just by dumb luck. I've got a brother-in-law in Oklahoma City, and we had actually, we were, we were going to move to Oklahoma City. I'd gone down and interviewed with a big paving contractor. Um, they were going to kind of create a, a grading foreman position for me and start doing their own grading. And I, I went down and interviewed and everything, took the job. And uh, <clears throat> that's how I actually left the company I was at. I, I went and interviewed and then I came back and told them I, I accepted the job. I said, I got to get my house on the market and get it sold before I can afford to move. It's probably going to be, you know, I'm giving you like two months notice. I'm leaving. I was their only grading super at that company. And, and uh, they let me go right there. When I told them, I you know, gave them too much mo- too much notice, and they just they let me go right there on the spot. Uh, well, there's your validation so, right there. I mean, that sucks. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, and yeah. it was for the best because if that didn't happen, I probably would still be there. At that point, I called. You know, I I know a lot of people in the area. You know, I can I could go drive to Denver tomorrow and be to work at five or six companies, but I started calling contacts looking for something temporary. You know, and. I called my dad and said, Hey, can you put me to work for a couple months? So I said, they let me go this morning and he was just dumbfounded. And he said, yeah, I can keep you busy. He said, but he was actually in, uh, down on I 80 
the company I'm working for it was their first project. They were just getting started. And he was sitting there next to their next to their uh, foreman for that job when I called him. And he told him, hey, you guys need a blade operator. And he says, uh, I give my son your phone number. And he said he's looking for something temporary. And I called him and gave him the understanding I was leaving in a month or two and just needed something temporary. And they said, hey, we'll, we'll make it work. We need help. While I was interviewing with, with my current boss on the phone, he kind of chuckled and made the comment that maybe you'll like us so much you'll just stay and i did and here we are after two after two weeks i made the decision yeah this is a good company i'm going to stick on with them and see what happens and here i am coming up on six years later that's awesome so what's yep. the what what's the lesson here for the for the younger guys i mean through <clears throat> through all this um, you, you ended up with a great company somewhat by dumb luck yeah what's what's the lesson that that you might be able to impart on others so they avoid the bullshit in between. The biggest thing is don't chase a dollar. Yeah. Look at the total package. You know, you're, you may be coming into a company at an entry level and you're looking at the dollar amount they're willing to pay you to start out. And this guy over here has got, you know, maybe they're going to start you a couple of bucks an hour higher, but the one that's starting you lower, they've got a retirement plan, vacation time, you know, potential to, you know, opportunities to move up and become management or be whatever you want to be within the company. And the other guy that's paying $2 an hour more doesn't offer you any benefits. You come to work, you hire on day one as a haul truck driver, you're going to stay in a haul truck for six, you know, six, seven years before you move just because that's how they're structured. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, definitely look at the total package instead of just the dollar amount starting out. You know, it's, it's hard for young people to see that picture because a lot of times you're just getting married or just bought a house or just had a kid and you need all the cash flow you can get. But in the long run, it's just not worth it. And I've, I've heard that so many times over, but it's, and, 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 and I get when you need the money, that's one thing. But a lot of times these kids don't need all the money. Like they're just being yeah. jackasses. Like, yeah, they need the money cause they just bought this super expensive pickup truck and mm-hmm. the camper and the two quads and yep. <laughs> where they yep. want to live this lifestyle that, that yep. sh- shows everyone back at, back at high school that, that they're kicking ass and it's exactly. just, and then they dig themselves in a hole and now they have to keep chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. And then they end up miserable. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's such a bummer to see, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I've said that a hundred times, but it's great to hear it from people in the industry that, you know, look past the damn hourly rate because that's such a small piece of the picture yeah exactly like i'm sure you could go make a ton more money other places is that incorrect to assume yeah definitely i could i could easily double my annual income but i don't want to be on the road bouncing all over the country that's just not the lifestyle i want to live yeah yeah it's amazing to think about what is your deal with your i know you're a big fan of grade control big fan of gps You know, big fan yep. of, of, is it, tr- you're a Trimble guy? Um, yeah. Or either I, or. It, you know. Yeah, I, I'll run anything, but yes, Trimble is, but in then, my opinion, Trimble is the best. And and I would agree that that's what the whole industry kind of agrees there. But you also are a big proponent of, hey, you know, grade control is not the end all. Can you explain your position on <clears throat> no machine control versus machine control? So machine control is just another tool in your toolbox, right? Um, I guess the the best way to kind of 
explain it to somebody that's not that doesn't run it all the time or, or isn't in the grading industry um take a carpenter for example you can frame a house with a hammer but if you got a pneumatic nail gun in your toolbox you're going to use it right mm-hmm. gps is the same thing it's just going to speed the process up you know you if you're grading old school with stakes you got stakes in the way everybody on the job is going to run one over at some point it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter if you're the finish you've been the finished blade hand for 30 years you're you're going to get a stake every once in a while. And those are, you know, you lose a stake on a old school job without any technology on it. You have no information left to go off of mm-hmm. for that area. That's the nice thing about having GPS or a total station, um, set up UTS set up on a machine. Is you've got the whole site blueprints right there on a seven to nine inch, whatever screen in front of you. It's giving you real time data where your cutting edge is on that project. So, you know, say you want to lay some base down a street or something, or even starting from the bottom, you want to cut the subgrade. You go in and cut the subgrade with stakes. Then you got to have guys with a streamliner that they measure come out and check it. It takes forever. They're in the way. You got to pound blue tops in the ground to get it done. You come through a GPS and you, you cut it and it's all consistent, you know, all the way through. You don't have a hump in between your hubs and you don't have quarter crown in it. It's all right on grade. And then you want to come back, put base on it. In the old school system, you've got to kind of lay it in there and guesstimate how deep you're putting it in. Hope you're close. Come in and pound hubs in it. And then go back and trim it to grade. Well, with GPS, you hit your increment switch up five tenths or whatever your thickness of base is. And you turn the auto switches on and you place it right to grade. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, even a, a tenth or fifteen hundred high, compact it, and then come back and shave it off the grade, and it's done. It's just a streamless process. I've been on the uh, the side of the coin where you know you're pounding hubs all day, and then you watch the blade hand just come through there and just yep. yank rip, them all out, yank them all out, and <laughs> nothing will piss you off more than that. And then you go back yep. and do it all over again, and you're sitting there yep. you're like, this sucks. This is really. This is not good for anybody. We are not having a good yep. time here. And if you have GPS, that, that process yep. largely goes away. Equipment operating, you know, construction in general is a very ego-driven industry. Oh, boy. You know, everybody everybody wants to be the best, and I get it. You know, I going back to how I got started out of the gate, you know, my, my grandfather was one of the best blade hands I'd, I'd ever watched. You put him one hub in the center of a 100-foot by, you know, 200-foot by 200-foot building pad, and he'd He'd grade the whole pad off within five hundreds with with that one hub, mm-hmm. and my dad's, you know, just about the same way. So coming up, that's how I was taught to run a motor grader was from guys that knew how to finish that good. So I could, <clears throat> I started in a motor grader at eleven years old, and by the time I was fourteen, I could hit hubs, and then it just got better and better from there. You know, that's that's what I did for. Four of the six months I was in Phoenix for Rumble, I ran a finish blade cutting house pads, blue top and house pads at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So, but so I get well, but the important thing here is you, you get the basics, and I think that's what yeah. you're about to say. Like, you have the basics yeah. mastered, and then you can put GPS on top of that. You're not starting with GPS exactly. and working backwards. I completely disagree with starting guys on a GPS machine. Mm. Um, that's, that's one of the things I kind of fight with where I'm at now 
Um, we've got a lot of young, ambitious guys working for us that are just, they're hungry. They want to get in there. They want to learn everything. And they always end up in the GPS, which is great. You know, they need to learn it, but they also need to learn how to do it without it because they lean on the GPS awful hard. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's any issue in the design, they don't catch it. Um, if it, we have signal issues, you know, we work in a lot of hilly country out here. Um, contrary to what most believe about Nebraska, <clears throat> we do get into some areas where it's, you know, we've got two, 300 foot elevation differences through a job and you get down in the bottom of those low valleys, you just don't get any signal over the hill. And when that happens, you know, and sometimes it takes a day or two to get a surveyor up to move a base for you, you know, put a, put in a new base point for you and you got to kind of wing it until that happens. And if you don't know what you're doing, it you struggle. So, and this is like the common argument, you know, the old timers make, well, you know, what if the GPS signal goes down or what if the technology doesn't work? Like then what? And it's like, okay, that's the obvious one, but that, that doesn't happen that frequently. I think the, the no. bigger advantage of understanding how to do it without GPS is it because you, it makes you way more effective with GPS. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you're just way like now, now you're, you're a damn yeah, good you're- blade hand. And then now you have this damn good tool. And so you are just yep. at a finishing fiend if you know yep. the both of them if you're just gps you're not you're still not that great yeah you know you you take a good a good blade hand that, that knows what he's doing without gps and hand them a, you know put them in a machine with great control they they struggle with it mm-hmm. for a while they don't want to get over control and they you know there's we could go into hours of talking about the the stigma of great control but you know that's the thing a lot of people think you split the switches and the machine runs itself and that's the that's what's out there in the ether about it. You know, that's what everyone thinks and how it works. And I've seen many, many old school guys get in a machine with great control and they just they look like it's their first day on the job. Front tires are off the ground and the blades jumping all over the place because they're trying to they're trying to just turn over everything to those switches instead of using it on top of their you know the skill set they already have. But why is there? Why is it that negative stigma? Because it makes them look like uh, when they when they know they're good, it makes them look like assholes for a little bit, or or or, well, or uh, what? Or they're giving control over to a machine rather than using their own inherent abilities. What's what's the negative stigma for? Because I think it's pretty. Well, it's it's like everyone pretty much agrees that you're better off with it than without it. It's just it's just how we are as humans, you know. No, we don't like change. Yeah, I was the you know I. I started on GPS um, in 2007 was when we got our first GCS 900 systems on a blade and a dozer. And I was that guy. They told me they were buying GPS. Oh, fuck that. We don't need that bullshit and carrying on. And, you know, I, I got in and ran it for a few months and I hated it. Uh-huh. And then, you know, after I kind of told myself to shut the fuck up and hey, this is a good thing and started learning all the cool shit you could do with it. Then I became a big proponent for it, you know, but I, I was that guy when I started on it. So the, the it just uh, it takes some humility there. Yeah, definitely. Isn't it from a management perspective though? Say you know you're 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 in that more management role now. I know you run equipment, but but you're you're managing people and trying to train that next generation. Isn't it tempting from a production standpoint to put someone in a GPS machine though? To just start them in, in like uh, well we have it like let's just put them in there. So we don't necessarily, you know, we're busy. We can't, we can't really teach them how to run the one forty right now. The, the, the G series or whatever it is. It, so mm-hmm. what is, is, do you have to fight it, that temptation? 
that is a temptation to an extent and it, it happens a lot actually. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I, that I struggle with is, you know, well, we don't have time to train this guy properly how to, how to go out and blue top of this motor grader, throw him in that GPS machine. He'll figure it out. Well, yeah. he will, but you're asking to get yourself in a bind mm. because if you don't know what you're doing with the machine and you don't know how to build the job, like say you're, I don't know, I'll take, for instance, we do a lot of uh, removal and replacement projects on I-80 and I-70. So let's say we're coming down a tangent section with a crown in it, and we're going to come into a super elevation where your, your profile is changing from a 2% slope out each direction from center line into a full crown, which is typically 6% all one direction. You know, a super elevation, you know, the curves, tips of highways, so you don't roll your car off the, the high side of the curve mm-hmm. for people that aren't familiar. If you don't know how that transition should feel coming into it or how it should be built and somebody that put the model together didn't do it right and you're coming in at 2% and they didn't build the transition right, most of the time in Nebraska anyway, I think our transitions are over the course of, it's been so long so I can't even remember off the top of my head, but we'll just use 100 feet, um, for example, or 150 feet. If that transition isn't right, where you're coming from 2% negative to 6% positive, and you just come up there and do it in 10 feet where you have a hell of a hump in the, you know, that's a, that's a ramp in the highway. If you don't catch that and you don't know any better, well, then when the paving crew gets there to start setting up to pave it and they catch it, now you're in trouble because you're, you know, the paver's sitting there and you've got to go back and fix it. You're holding them up. And there's, you know, you could apply a situation like that to anything in the grading industry. You know, if, if you don't know, if you don't know what your building is supposed to look like, you can get in trouble and cost a lot of money in a hurry. Well, and and assuming the, the model is always right is bad as well, right? Because the, yeah. model, the model is only as good as whoever mm-hmm. built it. Yeah. And, and a human's and building the model. Yeah, human error is, is always going to be a factor no matter what. Yeah. So it's, it's better to slow down, train the person right from the beginning than to just use the GPS as, as a crutch for yourself. Yep. So you don't yep. have to train someone and then you get screwed down the road. Exactly. No pun intended. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Uh, I get it. I get it. It makes perfect sense. It's very yep. it's it's very simple logic, but that's just it's not how it plays out a lot of times in the field. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I you know, I, I get it. You're you're managing a job, you don't have time, you know, you you don't think you have time to train people. I do my best, but I'm, I'm bad about it too. You know, I'll get busy doing something and, and I'll pay attention and guys will get to doing things that you're, they shouldn't be. And you don't catch it because you're on the other end of the job. You know, you try to do what you can to get them trained up. Right. But I just, I prefer to start them out on a knockdown blade, just tuning up all roads or keeping a fill slicked up or something like that, just to get a feel from the machine before they go into grade control. Yeah, I can. Uh, that's the only time I've really run a blade, but uh, I I can't even I can't even grade a road, a whole road. I'm not worth a whole lot. And we were. I, I remember I was joking with you a while back because I went to the deer proving grounds and I must have stalled uh-huh. this. I think it was a 670. I must have stalled yep. that thing probably five times over in the course of maybe uh-huh. ten minutes. I would just bury the yep. blade and then it would just and then shut yep. off. I'm like, damn it, yep. this is so embarrassing. Thank God. Everyone else out here has no idea what they're doing or else I would look like a total asshole right now. Takes time. Yeah. You know, I've got best guess. I've got about 30,000 hours in a greater seat in my <laughs> lifetime. And it's just second nature to me. You know, I've been doing it long enough, but 
I started out just like you did, stalling a machine out, fucking gouging holes and cutting shit rough and off cross slope and just destroying things, you know? It just takes time to learn it. After 30,000 hours in a machine, do you really think about it anymore? Or is it just, it's just no. so second nature? It, yeah, it just, unless I'm doing something super technical, I get in there, throw some music on the radio and just hang out. The yeah. machine does, you know, my hands in the machine do what they're supposed to do and I'm just there to watch. Going to going to training, I have I have really enjoyed. You've put you've put quite a few videos on the internet. I know I know you put videos out there to just rile people up, which I think is hilarious, and I'm a huge proponent of. I'm, I'm a big believer. Yeah, you you got to do some trolling every once in a while, just because of the, the ego driven nature of the industry. There's a lot of people out there trolling people, you know, name calling and talking down to people that have no business doing that. Well, it's super counterproductive, but yeah, it, it, so yeah. so that's fun. But I also I like. The videos you put on the internet that are, you know, you explaining the machine control, you explaining how to do things. I think some of your videos are far more practical and informative than a lot of the manufacturer videos and a lot of the Trimble videos. I yeah. mean, it, it it just makes so much sense because you're the guy that does it. So it's coming right from the horse's mouth and you break it down so simply. Why did you start doing that? You know, I get, I want to say a lot of messages on how to do things. But I do get the occasional message. Somebody will somebody will inbox me, you know, whether it be on Instagram, Facebook or wherever. And they'll ask me a question about something. And I've you know, I've got all this knowledge that's if I don't pass it on, what the hell good is it? So I try to help people. I mean that's where a lot of those posts stem from is somebody will somebody will message me asking me a specific thing. And it's like, well, if, if they need to know it, maybe some other people need to know what's going on here. So I'll explain it. And then it's out there. And then if somebody else asks me, I can reference it, you know, instead of having to take the time to do it again, I can just reference them to that bit of information and they can watch it. And it's, it's out there. They can watch it as many times as they want to. I mean, what's, what's been the benefit of that? doesn't really benefit me a whole lot, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that they can use the information. You know, I did, if you're not educating other people in the industry and helping them grow, then, you know, like, I guess you're, you're just kind of being one of those assholes on the internet that's talking shit and putting people down. And I, that's not who I am. And I, I like that. I, I, I and, and this is something I talk about a lot as well is, is we all need to do our part to educating that next generation, educating people in general about our industry. So it's yep. really, it's really everyone's responsibility to do this. And, and if you have a lot of knowledge, it's your responsibility to go share it and train people up instead of bitching about how the next generation doesn't know how to do shit because yeah, of course they don't know how to do anything because you're not teaching them, Bob. Like you gotta, you gotta show them how to do this stuff. Exactly. You know, I see a lot of, <clears throat> I see a lot of people, you know, and especially from management positions that like to get on the internet and, and complain about, Oh, we can't find any experience to help. And there's nobody's worth the shit anymore. And all of our old guys are retiring out. The industry's losing all this skill. Well, whose fault is that? It's not the guy coming up just starting out mm -hmm. he doesn't know any better you know it, it's on us as people in management positions and people that have the time in the seat that know how to do all this shit to pass the information down to the new guys coming in and if we don't do that the industry is just going to shrivel up and die and we're going to be you know i <clears throat> i haven't made it to that that podcast you did with the the guys out in california they're doing the autonomous stuff but you know that that is the future if we don't do something now and kind of fix where things are headed and start training up some of these new guys coming into the industry. Yeah, it's you, you know you can't go to school for this industry. You have to be taught by other people. And you said management, but but it's really 
it's everybody's responsibility. If you have knowledge, it's your responsibility to pass it down or don't expect this industry to go much further. It is, but you know, it, it goes back to culture. If management's not stepping up and making, making the effort to get the training put in place, everybody underneath them is just going to say, fuck it. Well, they don't give a shit. I'm not going to do it either. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And, and, and if they, if they set up their company, even to a point where everyone's just worked to death and there's no time to train or anything like that, it's, it's, it sends the same message like that, like your past experience, you know, if you're just worked to death, working a hundred hours a week, yeah, of course I don't have time to train. Are you kidding me? Like that's, it's, I don't even have time. Like you're not, you're not prioritizing this. So I'm not going to go take another 10 hours out of my week that I don't even have to go do something voluntarily. You know, there's, there's a lot of companies that they kind of look at training like an expense, but we don't have time or money to put, put into training guys. And we don't have to send them to Caterpillar to training program to get them trained. You know, you can, you can do it on the job. You just need to take a little bit of time, 15 minutes a day with a, with one of your employees, giving them pointers on how to do something will improve their skill set. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't, it, it really doesn't take that much. That's, that's the crazy thing. There's, there's not, but, but it, so it takes two to tango though, because these younger guys, they also need to understand that they need to approach the older guys with the humility, the hunger, the desire to learn the patience because they're not going to get in a machine on day one. So if they approach exactly. it from that side and then management, you know, the guys out there approach it from the other side, you, you get something pretty cool. But right now everyone's waiting around for like their competitor to train up their people. And then they go hire them from the competitor. It's like, well, your competitor's not training them. You're not training them. So no one's training them. So everyone's waiting on everybody to do something about it. And yep. now we ha- don't have people learning from anybody. So it's pretty yeah. pretty obvious why we have a problem here. And hmm. one of the best things a, a green person can do coming in, if you are leaning on a shovel in a ditch, doing labor work, watch what that operator you're working with is doing. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to learn. Watch how they do it. And then when you get a chance to get in the machine, replicate it. There's a lot to be said for that. Just watching. Like it's yep. not, it's not all that, all that similar, but we have, we have a guy, he's, he's, he's the one that's been editing the podcast. He edits all my photos, Matt Briscoe. So he's, he's edited thousands of my photos, but has never really taken a whole lot of photos. Recently, he's got out to some job sites. His photos of these sites are so damn scary similar to mine without any input on how to take photos on a job site just because he's seen so many of my photos over the past few years that now he's able to replicate it it's amazing how effective just even watching someone do something is uh you you have to practice it you it doesn't replace hands-on but man you can learn a lot just from watching yeah exactly Oh, it wouldn't be a podcast with you without talking about deer versus cat versus, I don't know if there's many other graders out there that are worth a whole lot, but what, uh, what's the deal with, I know you, 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 you love the new deer machines. They, they have no mast on. It's all built in grade control, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really slick. It's super cool how they've done it. Very clever using the cylinders to, to measure the distance of the blade off the ground. Um, what, uh, so, so what's, what are your thoughts on that, that the new deer graders and, and, you know, the M series caterpillar graders, what's, what's the deal there? Well, um, I guess my, to kind of get this all started into this whole deer cat thing, um, it's, it's pretty well known. I'm a deer guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that stems from an excellent 
relationship with our local deer dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are, they are now a Murphy tractor location that transfer happened. I don't know, late, late nineties, 2000, somewhere in there, uh, Murphy bought them out. But before that, it was just a locally owned single deer dealer that was founded in 1939, um, here in town. And back then they just sold industrial tractors because that's all, that's all deer offered in the construction space was yellow, yellow tractors, essentially. But that was owned by, uh, Ted B. Miller was the company's name. And he ran it for years and years and years. He kind of retired out in the early nineties and his, his two boys took it over. Uh, Max Miller, who is still, uh, with Murphy today, ran the Ted B. Miller company after the old man retired out. And I, you know, my granddad basically only did business with them. Any equipment he bought came from them. So we've, we had a real strong, I've known Max my entire life. And I kind of actually um, jokingly always blame him for getting into motor graders. Um, I remember when I was, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old, I went in there on a Saturday with my dad to get some parts for a 770 BH John Deere motor grader. And we were standing there and Max happened to wander in the door while we were standing at the counter. And he, <clears> he, or, or, you know, he came up and he said, Hey, let's come back to my office with me. I got something for you. So we wandered back to his office and he goes around behind his desk and he, grabs me a 164 scale 770 BH greater toy off the shelf behind the desk and he hands it to me. He says, he says, you can have this if you go back out there in the parts room and tell your, tell your old man, he says, he says, tell him, dad, you're getting parts for yours. I got a brand new one. <laughs> and I, I took that thing home and I don't know how many miles in, of dirt I, I bladed with that little toy. Uh. You know, I, I ran the wheels off of it. And that's just the, you know, that's just the type of relationship I've had with Max through the entirety of my life. You know, just always, always a great guy and, you know, always had a good relationship with everyone in the dealer. And that's kind of where my, my favoritism towards deer came from was that dealer relationship. Um, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but I'm actually on the customer advocacy group for the greater group, uh, with deer. So I, I'm one of, a handful of people that they bring in to give them input on the new stuff that's coming out. I was involved with the joystick controls and then I was involved with, very heavily with the, uh, the massless machines. Gotcha. And they just, they build an awesome product. Yeah. Caterpillar obviously builds an awesome product as well. Um, I am just not a huge fan of the layout of the cab of the end series. You know, it, it's pretty well known fact. There's been a lot of mechanical issues with them. Um, and you know, th- that being said, they're still, you know, it's Caterpillar. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. They build an awesome product. I just, in my personal opinion, I, I prefer the deer graders over the cat machines in the newer series. The there, There's a lot of machines that are all pretty pretty similar to one another, like excavators. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're all kind of the same. Loaders, all kind of the same. The, the graders, yep. though, like deer really has change things with this massless setup that they're running on the mm-hmm. blades. It's very clever. Yeah. And it, it, it was one of those technologies and those machines that I saw on this new, this new blade where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is actually a lot more clever than the other guys. Like they've actually really well, thought this one through and it's just, it's just better. Cat's got a massless solution as well. Yes. <clears throat> um, that was released at Con Expo, I believe. Yes. Um, they're not far behind, but, Still, this was, I mean, this has been, this was years ago where they came out with this, this new setup. 
Yeah, I want to say, trying to remember when they released that. I know when I started doing field testing on it was clear back in uh, 18, mm-hmm. early 18. I want to say early, late, late 18, early 19 is when they released the maskless machines. I can't remember exactly. It's been long enough ago, but yeah, they were, they were a good year and a half ahead of, ahead of cat tremble to the market with a massless system. Um, as far as argument over which system is better, I think they're both right there. You know, yeah. obviously I'm, I'm going to take the earthworks platform over, over the top com platform just for ease of use and ability to do different things with them. You know, tr- tremble offers way more features. But so there's a few things to note here. Uh, you didn't, you didn't first talk about the machine. You talked about the relationship with the dealer. And this is something I tell all the OEMs, like people don't first really give a shit about your machines. They care about the, the, the relationship and the people and, and, and the community around the dealer and the dealer presence. Like that's number one, not the machines. Yep. And then second, and I could be wrong here, but you prefer one over the other, but if but you you know being being having so much experience, just being a, a very practical guy, you don't really give a shit what tool you get, right? If I'm to nope, give you the latest cat, you're like, great, I have a cat, and you go get the job done. Yeah, they all do. At the end of the day, they all achieve the same end goal. They get the job done. Yes. And yes. I'm going to use whatever tool I'm given to get the job done. It doesn't, the brand doesn't really make a shit to me. I just, I've got a good relationship with deer. I like their product. And that's what I'm going to, if I got a choice of the two sitting there, I'm going to get in the deer every time. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I, and I wanted to point that out because I think like the, the, the blades are, they are very clever and they're very proud of their blades for good reason. I think they're, they're, they're great machines. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to get an expert's opinion on the subject because I am far from an expert. But we, uh, speaking of Murphy Tractor, we actually hired someone for Murphy Tractor. He's starting on the 1st of March. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we, uh, we're we pretty excited about that one. When it comes to advice, I know we've talked a little bit about that to these younger guys. Is there anything else you'd want to touch on as far as, as, far as younger folks in the industry or older folks and how they approach younger folks? What's, what's your deal there? Yeah, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a ton of things that that could be talked about. Um, I think one of the biggest things with, with younger guys coming in or even, even older people that are in, you know, that are working nine to five in an office and they hate it and they want to, they want to do something new, but don't know how to get out of that world and into a blue collar world. The the two things, I guess that they kind of for getting started would be patience and persistence. You know, if, if you're looking to get into a job, get out there, start knocking on doors, talking to companies, just to see if you can get in. And even if you start out as a laborer, you know, just get your foot in the door and get on the job. And then just show up every day and give 100% and be patient until, you know, if you work hard enough on the ground, eventually somebody's going to notice it. They're going to say, hey, this, you know, this guy, is, or this guy or gal or whatever, this person is worth investing our time into and moving them up the ladder and getting them into, you know, start getting them on a packer and a skid steer or something, you know, get them, get them some time in a seat and see how they do. And if you just keep showing up every day and giving it 110%, 
you're going to move up the ladder. You're going to get those opportunities. There's a lot of people that just want to walk through the door and, and, you know, I want to be the, I want to be the, I want to run the excavator. I want to go be the finished dozer or the finished grade man. And it's just not, it doesn't happen that way. You got to put the time in and learn it. Well, and patience and persistence, they're not opposites. They're the same side of the coin. You can be very patient yep. while also being very persistent. It's a, it's a fine line though. You can't be, can't be a pain in everyone's ass. Like, Hey, so when am I going to yep. get in the machine? Like, when the time's right, the time's right. And you have to, it's, it's, you do have to create the opportunity for yourself, but you also have to wait for the right mm-hmm. opportunity. Yep. And, and, and it, uh, just a lot of people don't, not even kids, just people in general, they don't understand that, that fine line to walk between being patient and also being very persistent. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. I talked about persistence. <laughs> I did a job in Wyoming. It was a, a, probably the biggest, the biggest job I've ever done. We built, we built an entire municipal airport. We we're getting started, and I had this old, you know, this old guy who was seventy years old, seventy-one years old, something like that. And he wanted to come drive my water truck, and I just I didn't need the water truck at the time, you know. And we were there for a month, you know, getting started, stripping the site, and getting everything ready to start moving dirt. And this guy would show up at seven o'clock every day he would be sitting there in the yard ready to go to work you got something today nope i don't have anything today you know I, he's got got to the point where he's a pain in my ass mm-hmm. but eventually you know after a few weeks one day i needed a packer operator <laughs> to run an 825 and he was sitting in his pickup in the corner over there i was like hey you want to come run this 825 for me he said yeah i know how to run one of those Put him to work. He worked for me for a year and a half. How about that? But he didn't have anything better to do, and he knew he needed a job, so he would show up on the job every day and ask if there was something to do. There's something to be said for it. Too many yep. people, they wait for the opportunity to come to them. It's like, no, 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 you got to go. Mm-hmm. Like some, yep. some kid, he messaged me the other day. He's like, can you find me a job? I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's your problem, not mine. Like, I can tell you where yeah. to look, but... Dude, like I'm not doing it for you. You, you like you're you're never gonna make it in this world if you're expecting someone else to go find you a job. Like you need to go do it yourself. You need to have initiative. Yeah. It's like you're rewarded based on your initiative in this world. So if you don't have any of that from the beginning, you're not gonna make it very far. Personal responsibility goes a long way. God, yeah. Especially in this world. It's like mm-hmm. man, like seniority, it doesn't go very far. You, you there's not you know, you can go from nothing to the boss man and, and without an education or there's, there's a lot of rules that govern society that don't govern our world. It's, it's just your work, your, 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 your work ethic, your ability to create opportunities. It's your ability to be persistent, your ability to be patient. That's what you're rewarded for here. Exactly. Hmm. So how are you raising, how are you raising your kids? How are you instilling this kind of stuff in your kids? Just do your best to raise them up to be good people. You know, i I am in no way, shape, or form pushing them to get into any sort of trade industry. You know, that they're going to grow up and be what they want to be. But, you know, they're still expected to be responsible and take care of themselves and do what they need to do. You know, there's not a lot of slack for for just kind of not doing what they need to be doing. You know, they, they're held accountable. Do you bring them around the, the, the work you do every once in a while? Yeah, they come out every once in a while. It, it's tough um, where I'm 
in the last six years, the closest I've worked to home is, is about 80 miles away. So occasionally they'll come down, hang out for an hour or two and we'll have dinner. They'll either stay the night at the hotel, wherever I'm working, or they'll come back home, but they don't get out very often. Do you have advice for people that are, that are working on the road quite a bit with families at home? It's tough. Um, when you do come home, be there. Yeah. There is a lot of alcohol abuse in this industry. Um, I all, all but quit drinking after I left my last job. You know, it was it was sort of a requirement to even work there to deal with the stress. You know, get home after work and drink a 12-pack and pass out and get up four hours later and go do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, after I left that environment, I just quit drinking. But, <clears throat> you know, something as simple as you're working out of town all week and you're used to going out every night and having a beer at the bar or hanging out with your buddies or whatever. When you get home, stay home, hang out with your wife and kids. Don't come home on a Friday night and go, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go meet the boys at the bar and hang out till midnight and, and miss that opportunity to spend time with your family. You're already gone enough. Just be there when you're home. Yeah. Easier said than done. Yeah. And it is, it's hard to shut off work. You know, it, that, that was, that was one of the biggest things that kind of led to the situation where I got in more for my wife wanted, she was just done was I was gone all the time at work and I had so much work stress that even when I came home on the weekend, my mind was still at work. So I just, I just wasn't present. How, how do you shut it off? I removed myself from the, from the environment, the stressful, you know, I, I removed myself from the environment that was causing me enough stress to not be present. Yeah. I, uh, that goes back to that culture in the workplace thing you know if you if you don't have a good culture where you know you've got support from the people above you where you can go home on the weekends and just kind of forget about working and, and hang out and go do what you want to do and it's probably not working worth working there anymore go find something else yeah this goes back to the the personal responsibility thing though too yep. it's your responsibility to recognize that and get the hell out yep. and, and and so if you hate where you work that's not your employer's problem. It's your problem. And and until you do something about it, it's not going to get any better. Yeah. Working 100, you know, 105 hours a week, 100, 105 hours, you know, constantly going on the road all the time. You know, I, at the time I was, I thought I loved it. You know, I'm not, I'm not one to want to sit still and not do shit on the weekends or, you know, just sit around and do nothing. I always had to, always had to be moving, doing something. And it, it took, took getting to that point where, where I was going to have to lose everything for me to wake up and realize, Hey, maybe this isn't such a good fucking life plan. You know, maybe, maybe I should find a hobby, you know, take kids fishing on the weekend or run over to Denver for the weekend and hang out and do some fun shit or whatever, you know, it's just life's too short to spend it all working. Yeah. And until, you know, unfortunately I think the only way it's going to change in this industry too is, is, when people working for these companies stop putting up with their shit and yep. they, and they just can't find people anymore, which is already starting to happen. And so they either have to do, they either have to change and start treating people better or they just die. There's really two options there. And, yep. and so until the people figure that out and, and take responsibility for themselves and not put up with the bullshit, it's, it's, that's when it's going to change. But until that happens, these companies are still going to get away with working people a hundred plus hours a week uh, and, and feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Good lessons. Yep. Man. Yeah. You know, when you, you got a company that cares more about the 
cares more about the almighty dollar than they do their personality. You know, that's, you're setting yourself up for failure there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of companies like that, unfortunately. There's a lot of great companies out there too. Like I don't want to be super negative. We work with some fantastic businesses, but like you're working for one now. But uh, yeah, it, it takes a little bit to find those companies and it takes a little bit of work yeah. to find those companies. And the, the it's interesting too. I talked to Pat Allen about this a few weeks ago, how you're punished for being too good at your job, which exactly. is, it's, it sounds like you were in the exact same boat. You were just being worked yeah. into the dirt because you were so good at it and they couldn't, they couldn't find that's, anyone else to do what you're doing. That's kind of always, that's kind of always where I've been at. Um, no matter where I worked, Rumble is the only company that I've ever worked for that I haven't been in a truck. You know, for obvious reasons, they were, I don't know where they're at now, but back then they were huge. 700 plus employees back, you know, prior to that housing market crash. So, you know, there I was just, I was just kind of a number on the number on the list, so to speak. But, but yeah, that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it goes. You know, I've never, never in my entire career pursued being in management. I don't really have the personality for it, but I, I do my best at it kind of one of those deals where i'm good enough on the equipment that they want to keep me around so to make sure that i'm compensated well enough to keep me around i've got to have this added responsibility to get into that pay grade mm-hmm. and that's kind of how that's kind of where i've been throughout the entirety of my career you know even starting you know right out of high school i was kind of thrown right into a somewhat of a supervisor position working for my dad just because i was been around long enough that he trusted me to go out and do what needed to be done you know even back then, good help's hard to find. Always has been. But this is this is a whole other issue in itself. Is that people that are good out in the field doing what they do, like you, you're great on equipment. They put you in a supervisor role, but a lot of times they don't train people on how to be a supervisor and how to manage people effectively, which is a yep. whole different skill set. That's and that's yep. probably is that is that not the hardest thing you have to do is manage people? Yeah. You know, the company I'm with now, they're awesome about, you know, the owner, the owners or there's a couple of, you know, product manager and, and field operations manager above me. They're always coming out in the field, you know, they're always coaching and, and, you know, working with me on, or, you know, working with all the foremans on how to, how to talk to people and how to, how to manage. And we've actually done a couple of, you know, couple of deals where we're going in the office and they'll bring in somebody to help with management training on how to you know how to handle situations and how to do this and that and it's it's been great you know the, the last company i worked for i started out as an operator and then one day there was a raise on my paycheck and i'm going what's going on here you know, they didn't even tell me about it well then two weeks later oh yeah by the way we gave you a raise and we need you to run this crew and then threw a set of plans in my lap and that was the end of it you know i just it was trial by fire at that company cleared up to you know, that, that last job I did for him, I had 35 employees underneath me with no, you know, just going from a blade two years prior to, to running this, you know, building this airport with 35 employees underneath me with, with no help on how to manage anything, just kind of figure it out as you go. And that's, you know, that's a good way to learn a lot in a hurry when you just get thrown right into it. But it was a struggle. Well, it's no different than what we were just talking about, throwing the kid in the GPS blade and, all right, have yep. at it, bub. Like, it's the exact yep. same thing, man. It, it's it's a different, managing a project, managing people is a totally different skill set than actually building it. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies make that mistake of, wow, that guy's really good at building stuff, so we're going to make him a manager and then just leave him there and hope he does great. Like, you, you got you to gotta teach people on how to 
how to even just talk to people. And you, mm-hmm. you're that self, you're, you're a self-proclaimed asshole, big asshole in the greater. Are you not? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so there's probably a lot of work to do as far as how to effectively manage mm-hmm. people and be patient yeah. with people and teach people rather than just yeah. get the fuck out of my way. I have work to do. Yeah. And that's, I still struggle with that. You know, I, as I said earlier, I'm not one to just kind of sit around and not do anything. I gotta be, I gotta be moving. I gotta be making production and it's tough for me to sit in a truck and watch somebody struggle on a machine when I know that task needs to get done in a hurry. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a, it's a personal battle with me every day. And when I, you know, when I see somebody that, that is struggling, when you're, you know, you got a deadline, you, you don't really have time to go hold their hand and coach them through it, but you just, you got to do your best. You know, you can't be, you can't be everywhere at once. I'm one of those people that just get in the machine and go build the whole job by myself. And I don't need anybody else. And that's this, that's the wrong mindset to have when you get on a big job where you got to have 10 pieces of equipment moving, you know, or 15. I'm getting better about it, but it's been a struggle. Yeah. The, you know, the entire time I've been in, in, you know, a real management, I wouldn't call being a foreman for my dad was really a real management position. But, you know, at the other companies I've worked at were, you know, I'm in charge of the job and I've got to deal with the general or, you know, other subs or manage other things like that, you know it's tough to be in all those places at once and still make the job go. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you, you're probably the best out there at that work, but you know, playing the long game, you got to let people struggle for them to get any better. It's, yep. it's really tough to just, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to sit here and watch cause they got to learn when, I mean, yep. I could fix this right now, but it's, yep. that's not, that's not leading. That's just micromanaging. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's probably, <clears throat> that's probably where I, I do the most work with guys and trying to train is when I do have enough people where I don't have to be in the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, like I said, I can't just sit in the truck and fuck off all day. I gotta, I'll pull up and watch somebody and give them some pointers and then move on to the next area and, and do the same thing with everybody on the crew. Well, I'm sure there's days where you, you wish you could just sit in a machine for 12 hours. Oh yeah. Simpler every times. Chance, every chance I get to get on another foreman's job where I can just run a blade for them. That's, that's vacation time. Yeah. I, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> As much as I'd like to talk about blades all day, I'll, I'll let you get back to your your actual life rather than talking about work on your day off. Yep, I could talk about blades for hours too. I I, oh, I could sit here all day, but <laughs> yeah, we're doing this on a Sunday, and I want I want to get you back to your family here. Um, yep. you got anything else you want to want to discuss before we're all done? And yeah, sage uh, wisdom. Sage wisdom. We all got to do a better job at, at you know bringing in the new people and doing the training and. And being accepting of everyone that wants to come into the industry, you know, you know if you you've kind of noticed, probably been noticing all the all the noise that's been going on about crew um, over the last month or so. That's that's kind of something that I've taken an interest in and become a part of, and and hopefully that can kind of get some traction and then turn into something tangible and and help getting some change going. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of people involved with that that have a passion for it and, and see the issue, and I think that's going to be a good thing down the roadways here once everything gets established and then the ball gets rolling and it's uh yeah it looks like it's getting rolling huh yep things are definitely moving good still still in the early stages but okay well yep, how- i think that's going to be a good thing yeah it's going to take i mean it's going to take this it, it, it's going to take a lot of work from a ton of different angles and i know there's yep. there's all sorts of groups it's it's kind of dysfunctional across the across the uh industry right now everyone's going to have to start figuring out how to work together um, yep. but yeah, it's going to take, it, it's everyone's responsibility to make sure this industry keeps, 
going on as it needs to. It's yeah, it's not exactly. the other guys or it's not my companies or it's not the AGCs or it's yep. not it's not any one group. It's it's everybody's responsibility. So it's about asking, you know, how can I make this exactly. industry better at the end of the day? Yep. And everybody's gotta step up and be their part. Yeah. And it sounds fluffy and ripe with bullshit, but that's just the way it is. Everyone's gotta everyone's gotta help out here. Yep. Cool man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And finding finding you is is Instagram the best place? Beefy Blade Hand. Yep, that's the best place to find me. Excellent. It's about the only about the only place I do much posting is there. So. Excellent. So so on on Instagram we got uh, at Beefy Blade Hand. Highly recommend yep. seeing uh, Ryan's videos. It's if you want to see some crazy shit with the blade, that's that's his Instagram. And then for crew, they are on Instagram as well. Yeah, um, I think it's at the.crew.collab, I believe is what it is. Excellent. So they should stay tuned to there to see what you guys are up to? Yeah, definitely. Sweet, man. Thanks for yeah. thanks for getting on here. Yeah, definitely. That went better than I was expecting. It's it's easy. It's not too bad. <laughs> I, I, I'm, we, our, our office, once once the studio gets done, I'm excited to bring people in, drink beers, and, and just yeah. kind of just hang out. But until then, this is the best way to do it, I've found. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's easier to you know you can reach more people over the phone. You know they don't have to come to you. Yeah, it, it's a it's a balance between you know yep. I, I want the quality of an in person conversation, but but at the same mm-hmm. time it's like well is it best to just get Ryan on the phone and get get yep. the word out now? So it's it's a little bit of both. Yep. And then people like fucking Garrett Wilson, you know they're just going to do their yep. own thing. So you got to catch them when you yeah. can. Yeah. We didn't even we didn't even get to talk shit about people. I meant to bring that up. Like, do we want to talk yeah. shit about Let's Dig? Do we want to talk shit about Garrett Wilson? Like, who do we really want to talk shit about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. They're all good guys, but they all need a ribbon every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well. Yeah. Well, I'm yep. I'm right there too. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, hopefully uh, we can cross paths one of these days out on out on site. If I'm ever hauling ass down I-80, I'll give you a shout. Yeah, definitely. All done. That was episode 57. We have two reminders for you, as always. One is the dirttalk at buildwit.com email address. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have weird things to say, if you want to ask for jobs like most people do on the internet, feel free to send in your your your, your notes to dirttalk at buildwit.com, and we will get to them with our new shorter podcast weekly that's coming out quite soon. Please also continue sharing Dirt Talk with as many people as possible. We want to get the word out about dirt, and to do that, we need your help. We don't have advertisers. We don't have people paying us to say stuff. We just have you sharing the podcast, so keep it going. We appreciate all the support, and we will see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk.